Man, there's so many. By the way, that's a subtle flex right there, what you just said. That's a subtle flex. Uh, is there one? Yeah, there's so many. You know, I did it so often, so great. I just don't know which one to choose. Hey everybody, what's up? Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another episode of Half Forgotten History. We're swimming in Hall of Fame waters this week with none other than the great Calvin Johnson. Look, when he played for the Lions, you can make a very compelling argument. No one was better at what they did at their position in the NFL than he was at playing wide receiver. And the nickname Megatron, a much better nickname than his first nickname when he started playing high school and college, it was Butterfingers. True story. How did he get that nickname? Well, listen and find out. Here it is, Half Forgotten History with Hall of Famer Calvin Johnson. So I have to ask, like in your everyday life now, does anybody call you Megatron or is it strictly Calvin? Yeah, I'm, I'm discerned. A lot of people don't even know my real name. I get Megatron all the time. <laughs> Still? <laughs> Still. Uh, but it, nobody in like your inner circle refers to you know, like you're you're Calvin to those people, right? Yeah, I'm a nickname or some variation of Calvin or the letter C to all my family, of course. No, that they never call me Megatron. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's one of the greatest nicknames in the history of the NFL, right? I mean, it, it, I, I know you'd rather probably called by Calvin, but as far as nicknames go, that's got to be way up there. I definitely got one of the best nicknames in sports. Uh, if not all time, definitely up there for sure. Well, no doubt about it. <laughs> and, and Roy Williams gave you that, right? Yeah, that's the same year that the um, – well, my rookie year was the year that um, the uh, Transformers movie started. And it right. uh, just timed out perfectly. Yeah. And when he first called you that, what – did you did you think it was going to stick? Or did, did you like it? What it was your initial reaction? It didn't stick. I was just like – what are you talking about? Like, because it just caught me off guard. You start, you know, saying that, I'm like, oh, the movie. Oh, okay, got you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But no, it didn't stick the first year. It wasn't until, like, you know, throughout, you know, halfway through my second year that people really started calling me Megatron. Announcers started using the the, uh, the name. Yeah, well, listen, it, it, it stuck now, and you're stuck with it. So <laughs> I, I, I hope you're okay with that as, as uh, we continue to go forward. Um, when did you think that you might be really good at football like was there was there a moment in high school like because I know you like baseball and football equally and your parents made sure you had to have A's and B's to play sports they drove the the academic part of it for you was there a moment at some point that you thought I might be really good at this yeah probably like during my junior season uh right before my my senior season not only did it, I was make starting to make plays uh started to you know uh to to play down that the horrible nickname I got in high school, Butterfingers. And then I mean I had my coach he was breathing confidence into me as well. Whoa, 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 time out, time out. Your nickname in high school was Butterfingers? Yeah, yeah. I was I, when I, I was growing into my body, I I I was less coordinated, put it like that. <laughs> well, we, we we all well thank God because now you and I have something in common. So that's great. <laughs> uh, on an athletic level. So that's got to be somewhat ironic that you went from Butterfingers to to one of the greatest receivers in the history of the NFL. It's pretty funny. It's very funny. You know, I, I worked my tail off just to live to to beat down that moniker. You know, it's after I think my sophomore season, I had just got put into receiver on varsity, and I was just dropping passes left and right. And it was just. Yeah, it was just ugly, and I just worked my tail off, you know, just to focus and concentrate on the ball so I'm not dropping passes out here left and right, and it worked out, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think it worked out. I think that's a good way of summing it up. So did, was it the coach that gave you the butterfly nickname, or was it was it a teammate? Who was it? 
it was team members, teammates. You know, I, yeah. I forget exactly who it was and start just started saying Butterfingers. And next thing you know, I got just hearing it in the hallway at school. You know, I was being bullied. <laughs> so, so okay. So, what do you say when you see those guys now? Like, how do you like me now, right? What do you, when you see those guys now? What do you say to them? You know, it's not even. You know, you hear sometimes like you remember when they just call you Butterfingers, man. That's that's crazy. I don't understand. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you were there. Like you're one of the, one of the ones calling me butterfingers, like. <laughs> but no, it's um, it's, it's it's cool to look back and just see, you know, things that you know were huge deals at the time. Might have been huge social pressures at the time, were you know, not necessarily so necessarily so big at the end of the day. Well, you know, you played the long game, uh, and you, you ended up winning for sure. So. What was your recruiting process like? Because, you know, there, the, the story came out this year that Sean McVay beat you out as the Georgia State Player of the Year. And, and, and you had never heard that before? Is that, what I, is that what I'm hearing? Right. I had no idea until they started talking about it when he became a head coach um, uh, out there in, in St. Louis. And I think I figured it out. I think he graduated like a year before me. Yeah. So I don't know how that worked. I didn't know. I thought it was just like a senior thing. I don't know. I have no idea how that worked. That's probably part of the reason I never heard of it. <laughs> gotcha. Well, again, it's worked out well for both of you. So uh, what made what? And obviously, I know you're from Georgia, but was it always going to be Georgia Tech? What made you want to land there? Yeah, I, originally, I wanted to go to like a big program like Oklahoma, you know, just because yeah. there seemed like to be a lot of opportunity there. Um, but then, you know, I really thought about it. You know, after going on some visits, I realized I wanted to stay close to home where my family could come and see me play. I think that meant, meant the most to me, you know, giving them access to be able to come and see me. And they were at every game. You know, I appreciated them. Yeah. My mom, dad, even my cousins and, and all those that were able to make it, aunties and whatnot, just because I was so close to home. You know, that support system meant a lot. Uh, it, it must have because, you know, you you retired as basically the greatest player in Georgia Tech history. Are, do you, are you comfortable with that? being the way people refer to you? <laughs> Did you say the greatest player in, in Georgia Tech history? Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I don't have no issue with it. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah, yeah that's uh, – I, I would have a hard time if people did have a hard time with that, you know. <laughs> uh, so you – but you almost uh, went back for your senior year because you wanted to make sure you got that degree, right? What was your dis what was your decision-making process? And, and what you know, was it funny. that sort of flipped you? Yeah, that's 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 a great question. Um, during that time, you know, I consulted with my parents, family, coaches. You know, what was the right decision to make? What was the right thing to do? You know, I went to school to get my degree. You know, my mom was pushing me to get my degree. I wanted to get the, to get my degree. I had put uh, so much work into to that point. Um, but going into Coach Chan Gailey, Coach Chan Gailey's office, who was the head coach at the time. Yeah. You know, he was like, "I'll be remiss if I didn't tell you." Now you should just you should go to the league because the opportunity is it really doesn't get any greater than this, and you know just you know him being real, knowing his situation as a head coach, he could have used me as a player for sure another year, you know. But um, just being uh, realistic and true to who he said he was going to be and guide us to 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 be the best, uh, I mean, productive members of society that, that he could, you know. Um, and uh, I can appreciate him for being realistic and, and telling me like, hey, you need to go. You know, and um, at the end of the day, you know, uh, I don't have my degree yet, but I am glad I did make the decision to go. Yeah. Well, listen, it worked out well. But you were the second overall pick uh, in that draft in 2007 behind Jamarcus Russell. And I'm sure Raider fans would like to have maybe seen that switch, but we can have that discussion a little later. <laughs> um, but you kind of like freak people out at the combine. Like people now are your size in the league on somewhat of a regular basis. 
but at 6'5", 239 pounds, a, a broad jump of 11, 7, uh, you know, you know, 4, 3, 5, 40, like you were kind of a freak show and people didn't know how to deal with you back then. <laughs> yeah, it, it was weird, man. That whole combine situation, I had planned on doing not a thing, you know, but everybody was like, how are you going to run fast at 240 and yada, yada, yada. I'm just like, man. I've been working out with the best speed coach in, in, in the world right now the last couple months, man. And funny thing is we had like maybe like two or three or to four top uh, times at that combine um, of that year. And I think uh, two of them were receiver, Yaman figures, myself, and the DP. Uh, maybe Leron Landry had the top time that, that year, Yeah, Leron Landry. But, um, yeah, I, I, I was so confident in what we were doing, all the work that was put in. I was I called my agent up, Bus Cook, and I'm like, hey, can you send me some cleats next day? And he sent me some cleats, and that's how the whole big story got started when they saw me um, getting my own cleats back from another guy who I let use my cleats because he didn't bring his cleats to the biggest audition of his life. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's that. that. That's not preparing very well. Who was that? <laughs> I forget the quarterback's name. I believe he was from East Carolina, though. I forget yeah. his name, though. Well, you know what? Uh, he probably didn't have the career he wanted because he didn't prepare the way Calvin Johnson did. You bailed him out uh, at, at the combine. So what were your expectations going into the draft? What were you hearing? Because, you know, you were rated as the number one player across the board. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I kind of – it's funny. You know, I feared going all the way to Cali, even though I love California. I feared going to Oakland just because it's so far away from everything that I know. You know, um, I had a little uh, – I really wanted to stay in Atlanta to be able to play, uh, you know, grow up play college and then uh, play professionally at for, for, in front of the home team, you know, that would have been, uh, that would have been awesome to me. Uh, but those are the two things I wanted to be at home. I thought I was going to go to Tampa too, because I had a great workout with um, coach Rudin when he came up, I think well, Chris Sims is a quarterback at the time. Uh, they came up yep. uh, to do a little pro day, but um, so I, was, I thought it was Atlanta or uh, Tampa. I thought I was going to stay in the South and then I got shipped to Detroit and, I was probably even more homesick than I thought I would be in, in California. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, that it, that's not Atlanta, right? Let's just be honest. Detroit is not Atlanta. What was that adjustment like when you knew that's where you were going? Um, it was really just uh, visually more so. You know, it's, Detroit was beat down. We got off the plane. We went straight downtown to the stadium. And on the way, all you see is burnt down buildings, you know, Buildings with busted out windows or, or just empty lots. I'm like, man, this is a kind of a depressing kind of view, you know. But really, when uh, I think that when I got involved in the community, you know, got to know my teammates, you know, really started to understand uh, Detroit, the people of Detroit, and really uh, grew fond of them. Now, how quickly did you realize that you were going to be good at the highest level? Like, it's one thing to know you, you have a chance to, to do this. But then to get there and know that, yeah, I think I could be pretty good at this level is another sort of a mental stratosphere. 100%. After my first year, um, going to my offseason after my first year, I was like, okay, I know the things I got to work on. But I think starting that season in my second year, I think my mindset my mindset was such that I, I, was, I feel like I was so overprepared that it kind of felt a little bit easier than it was, way easier than it was the year before. You know, I wasn't feeling like I was running in sand because I was so focused on learning the playbook that I wasn't playing fast. You know, so I think that just having that freedom, you're playing fast, you know what you're supposed to do, along with just gaining confidence in your own ability and how to uh, how to manipulate your body and size against all this uh, against all this top tier talent. 
you know, I think that uh, starting out that second season is when I really, really, when it really clicked that, all right, I got a chance to be pretty good here. All right, so your second season was 2008. Uh, the next year, 2009, Lions have the number one overall pick, and they draft Matthew Stafford out of Georgia. How quickly did you think, okay, things are going to change now because of this guy is the quarterback? Oh, yeah. We, I mean, everybody was like, okay, we got we got the, what we need for success. We got everything we need to win the Super Bowl. We got Stafford. <laughs> but, you know, having a great uh, young talent like that, you know, um, really is more about putting the pieces around him. You know, yeah. we had Matthew and we had pieces here and there, but we just didn't have that whole that whole ensemble, kind of like you saw L.A. do this year. You yeah. know, they, or the year before, they had, the, they had the defense all together. They needed that one extra piece, so they went all in. You know, that's kind of, I feel like, where you got to be nowadays in this league. You know, when you have the opportunity, you have the Russell Wilsons or, you know, the, the Aaron Rodgers on your team. You got to go all in and put the pieces around them if you want to go and take it to the next level and win that, win that championship, like we saw the last couple of years from the Bucks and uh, L.A. And, and Stafford sort of was uh... – I, I don't think people really appreciated how good he was because the Lions, you know, didn't have the success that a lot of teams had. Yeah. But I remember someone like the Cleveland Brown game. Uh, I can't remember was his rookie year or his second year where he just got racked mm -hmm. uh, and he, but he wanted to stay in the game because he got him down there. And then he, what I think he dove over for the touchdown, the game winning touchdown in that mm -hmm. game. Like yeah. people don't understand how gutty that kid was and still is. Yeah, that's that's one thing that they like you say because we're in Detroit, we're in a small market. We haven't had a whole lot of team success in the, in, the, in who knows how long, <laughs> if ever. You know that you know we don't get the respect you know that that that's deserved, and it's easy to see that when Matthew went to L.A., nobody really gave him the, the respect that he deserved. I'm just like, okay, this get this is still a gunslinger. You know, yeah. you give him the tools and you give him a great defense, like it's gonna be problems. I think we saw that halfway through the season last year before they hit a little lull, but then they got it back together going into the postseason. Yeah, that lull was when the when the, they lost uh, Robert Woods and, and before Odell Beckham got there and sort of meshed. And you could tell yeah. they, nothing was quite right for like a four-game stretch, but they, they figured it out and they ended up with the Lombardi Trophy. Is there a part of you that feels like you're a part of that because of all the years you spent with Matthew? 100%. I mean, I, I don't take credit for anything, but 100%, I feel like I, I'm, it's part of me vicariously. Yeah. You know, being able to see him go and win that thing and then to do it in the fashion in which he did it, which made uh, myself and a lot of us, his former teammates, so proud. The fact that he did it in the first year that he left and, and, and switched teams, you know, that just that's really what made us excited. You know, that's what really made us happy for him because he did it, did exactly what he was supposed to do when they wanted him to do it. Yeah. How much conversation – or have you had much conversation with him uh, since since they won it all? Oh, yeah. I, I've spoken to him uh, prior and after. Yeah. You know, I got my granddad. He's like, oh, you you got to get my hat signed by Matthew. I'm like, granddaddy. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I thought you was a Lions fan. I thought you was a Cincinnati fan since you live in Ohio. Now he, you know, he but he's. He's a, my granddad, he's a fan of any of the guys I played with are the good people. And Matthew, he's a good people. Yeah, he certainly is. And that commercial he did with the with the AT&T. So even though nothing was wrong with the old phone, I just, I, I can get the new phone. It was perfect. It was great. That was great. <laughs> so let's, let's go to week one, the 2010 season in Chicago. You catch the pass in the end zone. To everybody in the world, it appears that that is a game-winning touchdown with 30-plus seconds left in the game. And then you hear Gene Steratore's call. What went through your mind when they said you did not complete the catch? 
So before was it was it really was it Gene's was it was it was it he that made that call? That yeah, it was Gene Steratore. Or, it was Gene Steratore. Why the heck is he on TV making these calls nowadays? <laughs> everybody in this, even everybody in the Chicago stadium knew it was a touchdown because yeah. you could hear a pin drop. Yeah, everybody knew it was a touchdown. Everybody knew it was game over. And then, and then I guess Gene wants to come out. I mean, he, that's where he got famous off of. Okay, that makes sense now. But I mean, the, the <laughs> thing, the thing that drove me crazy it was so clear. You were just using the ball to sort of prop yourself up off the ground. You had made the catch. And you, that play sort of started a 10-year, decade-long, what-the-hell-is-a-catch conversation in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad to be a part of it, but not in that fashion. I, you know, I think they came back a couple of years ago and said it should have been a catch. Yeah. I tell everybody, when they tell me that, I'm like, okay, well, throw that, throw that touchdown on the stat sheet. Yeah. It still counts. Yeah, that, that's the problem. Yeah, I mean, cool that you're telling me that now. Doesn't help me, didn't help the team. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I think that's like you said. That was game one. Yeah, game one. I think it was game one. It kind of set the tone for the season. It sucked. It hurt. Yeah, I mean, I almost feel like that's even worse if they said, "Yeah, you know what? We screwed it up." Well, now I'm reliving it all over again. You know? <laughs> yes, one hundred percent. So, do you think they've got it right now on what they consider a catch in the NFL? Because they clearly didn't for a while. No, I saw a couple plays last year, and I'm just like. They still don't have it right. Yeah. I've seen plays over. I feel like every year I see something that's just like, I'm like, damn, we have this slow mo where they break it down to the tenth of a second yeah. and we still can't get it right. <laughs> well, I feel like that's even worse because then the referees are looking at it in a way that isn't natural. You know what I mean? When you when you slow it, you're always going to find some. It's like taking the Mona Lisa and focusing in on one little picture or part of the painting was like, oh, there's a color that's off here. Well, yeah, if you do that, you're going to find a flaw in everything. I think the slow-mo replay actually makes it worse for everybody involved. I agree. There, It is kind of, I'm not going to say detrimental, yeah. but it is a point where, yeah, you can't really visualize, I mean, what what really happened in real time? Yeah. You know, I feel like you got to take that into consideration a little bit. Absolutely. So uh, that sort of set that season back for you. Um, what was it like going through that process those years in Detroit where you knew, you know, that you had Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay and they were putting up all these numbers and, you know, you, you had, you, it just felt like it was an uphill battle almost every season. Oh yeah. That's always tough. But you know, you say, you know, it. even from when I first got there and you had Brett Favre, yeah. you know, for two years, it's just like, okay, you know, these are the Kings of this division. These are the guys we're going to get by. We're going to have at least have to beat them at home. You know how hard it is to lose, how, how hard it is to win at Lambeau. Correct. Field. And then the rest of the division at the time when we first got there, Chicago was a monster. You know, uh, I mean, all three teams were really a beast, you know, at the time uh, when we were playing in there. So it's just knowing, but really Green Bay is the one at the end where we always played them at the end of the season, you know, because oftentimes if we had an opportunity, it was going to go through them uh, if we're going to be uh, getting into the playoffs. Yeah, so you did you did make it to the playoffs a couple of years, um, but the success wasn't there, including that crazy game against the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> you know, I, I, as a Lions player, I'm sure you heard this a lot, but like how how did that flag get picked up on that defensive? I, like it makes no sense that they it, if you don't want to call the the penalty, I understand it, but once you throw the flag, how do you pick that flag up and say there was no uh, interference, uh, defensive pass interference here? I could not figure this out. It's, it's, it, that's just one I just why I just call it. Hey, just something. Just, it just happens to the Lions. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see it happening anywhere else. Yeah. It just happens to the Lions. Like I've seen some crazy stuff up there. I've seen calls that were just like 
should have been that weren't there or vice versa. And it's just like, because we're the Lions, we don't get the benefit of the doubt. That's got to drive you crazy though, right? 100%. 100%. Just like when the referee tells me, I'm like, dude, the dude is just holding me. He's like, well, you weigh like 20 more pounds than him. I was like, okay, well, he's still breaking the rules. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. show, show me where there's a sliding scale for weight and height and when you can call a foul in the rule book, and then I'll listen to that logic. Thank you. I mean, that's like that's like a, a you know, hack-a-shack in the, in the NFL, man. That's how they treat LeBron. You know, he's a big guy, and they, they hack at him going to the lane, they don't, but they don't flag or blow the whistle sometimes. So it, was just, it, was just, it, was, it was frustrating. That, that part of it was frustrating. But even through all of that, you still managed to put up all these records and all these numbers. And, and then, of course, you go through that incredible season where you set the record, 1,964 receiving yards. Still the record. By the way, in a 17-game season, hasn't been touched. Still hasn't gotten there. Um, what, what does that mean to you? What does that record mean to you considering where you did it and how you did it? That means so much to me because of the work that went in before every season. And obviously, you know, I try not to, you know, Aaron really put in the same kind of work. And if I didn't add something each year, but really halfway through that season, uh, Sean Jay, Sean Jefferson, the coach, my receiver coach was in my ear. Like, Hey, Bifel, you got a shot at it. What are we talking about? Like Jerry Rice's record, the all-time record. I'm like, man, I'm like, coach, you realize I got to average almost 200 yards a game to do this? He's like, we can do it. I was just, he just saying it. He just saying it so casually. And I was just like, I'm scratching my head, like, all right, like, yeah, I could. I've done 200 yard games, but in 150s and stuff. But to average those numbers, like, that's tough. Yeah. That's tough to average 100 yards, you know. And um, but he kept staying after me. He was after the coaches, you know. He's he's in Matthew's ear. I mean, but I mean, he really pushed me uh, just to really try to perfect my craft. You know, not only that year, but specifically during that time, you know, I mean, every little detail he was on me for. You know, and he didn't coach just coach me like that. He coached everybody like yeah. that, and that's why all the guys respected him so much, and I appreciate him for uh, just being my coach. Well, you know, so he put it out there early. Like he, he said, he, he he put it in your mind early. How much did you think about it as the season went on? I tried my hardest not to think about it. I really did, but you can't help it. Yeah. You can't help it because he's always there. You know, you're at your own pace at this. He's just, just he's just be in my ear with numbers. I'm just like, man, like leave me alone. But at at the, at the point when we really really were within striking range, where we had like five games left, and I need, needed to average like I don't know 100 and something yards. 100 and just say like 40 yards a game. I'm like, okay, this is more and more realistic. Like, we could really do this. And then to do it against the home team, Atlanta Falcons, you know, that made it that much sweeter. So you, you did set the record, but you came 36 yards short of 2,000. So mm. was there a party who was like, damn, I only got 36 more yards in that final game against the Bears? We'd be talking about a whole different stratosphere. Oh, man, it'd be totally different, you know. And I think back, I'm like, yeah, that could have been had here. Might have dropped that pass, dropped that pass here. Could have been had here, overthrow. But I just always chalk it up to myself like, damn, I'm sure I've had – I've probably had at least like five or probably two drops that would have matched for that, that amount, of, amount of yardage. So it's definitely doable. Yeah, uh, I, I always find that interesting when I talk to great athletes. They always seem to remember what they didn't accomplish – more than what they did accomplish. Why do you think that is? I think um, I speak for myself, you know, it's really just a, a strive for perfection, even though, you know, knowing that we're not perfect, but really just taking it day by day, 
and really taking, looking at your, what your weaknesses, obviously knowing what your strengths are, but just taking something day by day and working on it. Like saying, just for instance, you know, it can easily get mundane in, in what we're doing in football. You're doing the same thing, practicing yada, yada, yada every day. But if you take something like today, I'm going to work on my footwork. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and I'm not going to just practice it because BS, practicing BS gives you BS, right. you know, but a perfect practice, you know, you have good results. And, uh, uh, you know, maybe one day I'll work on my hand placement. Maybe one day I'll work on this and really just day by day stacking those attributes up. And over the long run, you know, all those things will just keep, keep continuing to rise. And you look back and boom, there goes a nine year career. And but, you know, the fact is I lived in the moment and trying to you know perfect my craft each and every day. That's what allowed that time to fly by because we we're just having fun and living in the moment and doing your job. And I feel like that's just the way you got to live. Yeah. Everyone has their favorite. Do, do you have a favorite catch? Is there like, I think one that a lot of people remember you came 24 down against the Cowboys and they threw it into triple coverage where you were there. It's like, F it. He's going to go get it. You know what I mean? Is there, is there a catch that stands out in your mind more than any other? Man, there's so many. By the way, that's um, a subtle flex right there. The what one? you just said. That's a subtle flex. Uh, is there one? Yeah, there's so many. You know, I did it so often, so great. I just don't know which one to choose. <laughs> All right, I, I I got um, dang, that's tough. It really is tough because I have, I have an over the shoulder um on the goal line in, in in Oakland to win the game. We had to come back from down in Oakland. I forget what year yeah. it was. Maybe like uh twelve or something like that. And had like 200 yards in this game, but it came down to this last drive and this press coverage on like literally like the goal line. And Matthew threw the ball right at the uh, right at the goal post, the center of the goal post, like probably eight feet high. And it's literally a toe tap in the back of the end zone. I probably had like a less than half an inch to spare on the toe tap, dude on my hip. And uh, we won the game after that. Um, but really probably my favorite one is one you've never seen. I had a toe tap. A, a reverse toe tap, really. Drew Stanton, we're in Tampa Bay overtime, and he did me a comeback on the sideline. It was a great route. Got the dude running. Left him. He kept on running when I was coming out my break. And I was up against the sideline with nowhere to really, really maneuver, and the ball was up high. And I had to go up and get it. And the only thing I could, I could, I could touch the uh, ground with was, um, I think it was my heels. And that's all I had that I could reach. I had to reach up. And no, no, it's my yeah. toes. My heels were over the um over the out of bounds line and my toes were the only thing that dragged and that was probably one of my favorite catches because it was a great route followed up by a great catch in overtime to help us win the game see now that should be the memory that everyone thinks of when they think of drew stanton but instead they think of that ridiculous sideline celebration when he was a member of the arizona cardinals <laughs> see this is the problem with drew stanton's career right that's the problem <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Drew, too, man. Uh, he's all-time great. I've played a couple of golf tournaments with him. So, Drew, I know you're listening and watching somewhere. Had to bring it up. Um, all right, why don't we take our break here? When we come back, we'll talk about something that you just said, a nine-year career, because I think a lot of people were caught by surprise when you decided to hang them up. We'll come back with more of this Half Forgotten History episode with Calvin Johnson right after this. All right, time for a little Megatron trivia brought to you by our friends at Mercedes-Benz Sprinter fans, unlocking your potential to drive your ambitions as far as you want to take it. We all know him as Megatron, right? So here's the question for Calvin Johnson. Which fellow wide receiver and former teammate gave Calvin Johnson that awesome nickname, Megatron? Listen for the answer at the top of the next break. 
You know, you open up a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter and you're opening more than doors. You're unlocking potential to do your own thing, be your own boss, and live out your own dreams. With 16 body types, your choice of a gas or diesel engine, and thousands of ways to customize, a Sprinter van is capable and versatile enough to help you drive your ambitions as far as you want to take them. So go ahead, unlock your potential inside a Mercedes-Benz Sprinter. All right, back with Megatron. That sounds better. Calvin Johnson on this episode of Half Forgotten History. So right before the break, you talked about a nine-year career. You shocked a lot of people when you announced you were retiring after the 2015 season. How long had you been thinking about it? Um, about a year at that time. I, after the love, the prior season, I, I went home and um, sat on the couch with my dad. <clears throat> I was like, man, like, I don't think my body can take it anymore. I don't, I don't really want to put in the work that it takes to – to be at the level just because the body just didn't feel good putting in that work. And he literally said, he's like, uh, you think you could do it again? And I sat there and I thought about it before a second before I answered the question. And uh, he was like, since you're thinking about it, you can do it one more time. And at that point I was like, all right, I'll go back. I'll go back one more time. And um, I had knew at the time, I knew before the whole, um, then the whole season that uh, is one of my last. Did you tell anybody else besides your close relatives? Did anybody else know? Did anybody on the team know at that time? You know, the funny thing is I would be sitting there at lunch, and that same year Kobe had announced his retirement during that um, football season. Yeah. Um, and I was like, man, yeah, I'm going to be up out of here like Kobe like after the season, man. I'm, I'm retiring. I'm done. And I'd be saying that in the lunchroom, and it's funny. Nobody took it serious until I was actually done, said and done. And after, I was like, oh, shoot. And then my buddy Corey Fuller and a couple of other guys were like, man, well, you were serious huh, the whole time, weren't you? I was like, y'all thought I was playing, yeah. huh? And I was just like, yeah, it's just really just a combination of, you know, like I say, the body, and really just the team wasn't really at the time going anywhere. Well, it's interesting because it doesn't happen a lot, but it's started to happen, I think, more and more since you made that announcement. Hell, this past mm -hmm. offseason, Ali Marpet, offensive lineman, I think played six or seven years in the league, uh, made it to a Pro Bowl, was an All-Pro, won a Super Bowl. He decided to hang them up. I, I think we're going to see more and more of this, right? Because once when you see the numbers that you can make and realize, okay, I, I have – fortunes for several lifetimes, but I have a life that I want to live. Do you feel like you're a trailblazer along those lines? Um, I can't say I was a trail trailblazer because there's been other people that have done it. You know, uh, Patrick Willis, you know, he stepped away from the game, you know, because of, uh, I believe it was, you know, issues that he had in playing the game. And at the end of the day, that's what the results, the results too. It's issues that you, did you suffer from playing the game? Unfortunately, fortunately, I wasn't forced away through a crazy injury like a lot of guys yeah. are. I was fortunate in that capacity just to walk away. But at the end of the day, it was just what the game was taking away. And it was really, you know, it's pain and this quality of life that it was taking away. And that's the things that, you know, I just wasn't weren't, wasn't willing to, to let go. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because, again, I'm not trying to make this a Lions thing, but you could argue two of the greatest players or maybe the two greatest players to ever play for Detroit both sort of had a surprise retirement, Barry Sanders and yourself. And I believe, I mean, from, from what I, all that I understand, there are very similar reasons. You know, you're you're on a team that doesn't seem like they want to, you know, take the next step, but they, you know, they want you to hang around. And uh, it just wasn't, it was just one-sided, you know, put it yeah. like that. So you've been away for now for, what, six years? God, that's not even seemed possible. You've been out mm -hmm. for six years already? Um, how was the right. adjustment? Like, was it, was it, did you know right away you made the right decision or there were some, oh, should I have done this? Should I go back? 
There, it was right away. I mean, when I was playing, I was looking forward to the day I was able to just go sit down and do nothing, sit on my couch, wake up in the morning, nothing to do. That lasted all of about two weeks. <laughs> We're so used to having structure, yeah. you know, throughout, you know, playing sports from being a young man to college to the NFL. We've always had a structured life. And I think that, you know, the thing for me was really deviating from that, you know, having not having that sense of uh, not necessarily being, but what am I supposed to be yeah. doing right now? What's next? You know, that was, that's really what the question was for me. You know, I was going to do my real estate thing. You know, I got my foundation, you know, but that, there, I feel like there was still still more to be had, still more to do. And for me, I'm, I grew up in my mom, I grew up in the church. It's really just about how can I serve? How can I help others yeah. be better? And um, find, I feel like I, find, I found some ways that we can, one, you know, help other people better themselves, help other, other people better their quality of life. You know, and, and in turn, I mean, that's helpful for us, too. You know, it's a win-win. Yeah. And by the way, I want to get into that uh, in just a second because it's really fascinating what you're doing now. But before we move on from the football, is there someone in the league now that you watch and you're like, hey, looks like me? <sighs> yes and no. Um, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think. No, the the plays like you, like that, sees, that you see some of your game and the way they play. Uh, By the way, I just want to say I love that you're having a hard time with this. It just shows you how freaking awesome you were again. Just pointing that out. I mean, my thing, I mean, there's guys that make plays, but then there's guys that make plays, but, you know, you're a diva yeah. too. I don't think that's yeah. necessary. You know, I don't think all the antics are necessary. I mean, make your plays, do your celebration and all that, but I don't think all the off-the-field distractions are necessary, and I feel like that's part of being a complete yeah. pro. And so that's when I'm when I'm when I'm thinking about this. I'm like, okay, who's being a complete pro? I tried to model myself as a as a pro in that manner, you know, because I grew up. We got we grew up seeing all the guys that were out there cutting up, and it was fun a lot yeah. of the times. But there's some things that weren't so great, and I just didn't want to be associated with and putting my name or my my family's name in a bad light, or, or being or foolishness, you know, because uh, I, I viewed this as a hugely serious endeavor and playing in the NFL and everything that. That, that it goes with it and treating your body as a business. So I really didn't see it as a as a place to play yeah. around, you know, and fool around. So um, guys that are that are out there serious that I really like right now, I don't know. I, I love Jamar Chase and what he's doing. I love his, his counterpart, uh, Jefferson, Jefferson yeah. that's playing up Minnesota. there with uh, the Vikings. I mean, they're totally different kind of uh, uh, players as far as body shape and style. But, I mean, I love what they're putting out as far as uh, – uh, some young uh, it's, yeah, it's really funny that you use that word diva because I, for years, have said the wide receiver position in the NFL might as well be called wide redivas, right? Because, you know, they <laughs> everything everything is on show. They always say they're open. You know, there's they, they, they're never covered. Uh, they complain. Uh, they're putting all this stuff out on social media. Look at my workouts. Look at all this. It's like, I get it. I get it. Okay? <laughs> Just catch the ball. <laughs> and that's another thing, man. I feel like that. I feel like that stuff. I'm not gonna yeah. say it's fake because people, because people sure. are using social media, and some people can use it the right way. But I never felt like the things that you do that you have to broadcast everything. You know, like if I am doing this workout, I have to show the whole world. Or if I'm donating money to this certain foundation or whatnot, I got to share it to with the whole world what I'm doing. I feel like there's there's there's, there's that's not that's kind of um, not defeating the purpose. But it's, it's not coming from the, I guess, the best place. 
Yeah. Well, that's interesting because, uh, yeah, you definitely were not a diva. There, there's no question about that. I, I did not put you in that category. Just wanted to state that on the record. Uh, but you mentioned yeah, finding a purpose and, and, and serving, and you, and you have done that now. I want to talk about what you're doing now. So why don't we take our second break here with uh, Megatron, and we'll come back on this episode of Half Forgotten History and talk about where he's focusing his time and energy right now. Stay with us. We're coming right back. All right, back with the answer to our Mercedes-Benz Sprinter van trivia question about Calvin Johnson. The person that gave him the nickname Megatron, his former teammate and wide receiver with the Lions, Roy Williams. Roy was really good at giving nicknames. Catching? Not so much. But that's a whole different story. Now back to the rest of our Half Forgotten History episode of Calvin Johnson. Welcome into an NFL Week 3 edition of Trey's Trends, presented by Caesar Sportsbook. Look, we all know the NFL brings the drama, and that was certainly the case in Week 2. Here's what happened in Week 2 on Sunday. The Jets, the Dolphins, and the Cardinals all came from at least 13 points down in the fourth quarter to come back and win as road dogs. Only the second time that's happened in NFL history on the same day. Miami is 2-0 thanks to Tua Tonga-Vailoa throwing six touchdown passes in that comeback win over Baltimore, tying Dan Marino and Bob Greasy for the Dolphins' team record. But to get to 3-0, they're going to have to beat the juggernaut, the 2-0 Buffalo Bills, who annihilated the Tennessee Titans on Monday Night Football 41-7. And let's just say, for the sake of argument, beating Buffalo has been a problem for the Miami Dolphins. In the last seven games, Buffalo is 7-0 straight up and 5-2 against the spread, winning those games by an average margin of 19.7 points. And oh, by the way, they swept the season series a year ago, outscoring Miami 61-11, including a 35-0 shutout week two last season in South Florida. Find more of Trace Trends by following Caesar Sportsbook at Caesar Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Must be 21 or over, 19 or over in Ontario. Must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Michigan, Nevada, New Jersey, New York, Ontario, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming, or Washington, D.C. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, Ohio, Utah, and other states where it Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problems? Call Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia. If you or somebody you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. Or Maryland, visit mdgamblinghelp.org. Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, D.C., Nevada, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino. Call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Closure City, and Harrison, Orleans. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Ontario, visit connectsontario.ca or call 1-866-531-2600 or text CONNECTS to 247-247. Tennessee, call or text TN Redline at 1-800-889-9789. All right, back with Megatron, Calvin Johnson on Half Forgotten History. So pain and taking care of your body was a big reason why you left after nine years in the NFL. And now you're sort of uh, launching on a new career to make sure people understand how to use cannabis to help manage that pain. Uh, the company's called Primitive, and it uses, what, nanotechnology with, with cannabis? Tell me about that. Yeah, so originally we started as, a, as cultivators, um, processors, and retailers. But the next phase for us is our company called Primitive Performance, which will uh, highlight nano uh, emulsion, which is basically uh, tiny particles that are able to bypass the intestinal tract and get right into the blood bloodstream. And in turn, creating a more bioavailability, you're actually getting the medicine, one, uh, more of the medicine to your to your bloodstream, but two, at a, at a quicker pace. 
if you think about an edible, I don't know if you're familiar, but familiar. an edible takes almost like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> it takes almost an hour to really, to really uh, uh, to, to take its effects. Whereas nanotechnology allows that same process to occur in five to 15 minutes. Um, at the end of the day, we're really focused on just really creating new and innovative applications uh, of cannabis. And I believe that that one with education, that helped destigmatize yeah. the plant. Because all we think about one is how uh, you take it adult use or recreationally, you know, whether smoking a joint or using it in a bong, you know, and that's what's been heavily uh, stigmatized. But if we can obviously show different applications to these cannabinoids, educate people on how cannabinoids are, are work within their body, teach people about their endocannabinoid system, which all of us have, I think that um, a, a lot more uh, progress will be had and uh with, with cannabis but like i say we we have a platform we have visibility so i think it's only right for me to use my platform and visibility to advocate for not just cannabis but plant medicines in general because like i said we call ourselves primitive because like you see on the hat because it, plant medicine in general has been used since the early ages yeah. people have used these as healers from from the age from from, from the beginning of time yeah. you know um, anything for me that is not natural natural substance i try to keep those things out of my body I've operated like that from when I came into the league with my uh, with my uh, uh, with our with our uh, supplements that we use. Anything derived of the earth from going to my body, anything man-made, not necessarily all things yeah. man-made are bad, but those things that are synthetic, those things carry toxins. You know, I was talking to you know, remember Nate Burleson? Oh, sure. On TV everywhere now. You know, we're talking to him uh, recently, and I remember he telling me about a time when he went to the doctor because I remember Nate. We played together. We was getting you know get the shots and all this stuff before the game just so we could play. He's like, man, I went to the doctor to do a blood test. And they're like, man, the doctor told him, I've never seen somebody with so many toxins in their blood. It's so young. And I'm just like, man, goodness gracious. I'm just like, I, but I get it, though, because that's what that's what we did. We did whatever we could to stay on the field. That was our job. That's how we took care of our families. So we were just going to do whatever we could. But what if there's an alternative? You know, we want to be able to provide an alternative uh, for folks to deal with their pain. Uh, mental and cognitive issues. Do you feel like the NFL is beginning to slowly embrace that a little more? I know they've sort of destigmatized. Uh, you, you have to, you have to really, really have so much in your system to be pop for a, for a, a test these days. But do you think they're beginning to understand? Because you, you talk to so many players like yourself. You know, Jason Taylor used to take those shots in his foot all the time, uh, just to the the all just to get up there and be able to play. Do you think there's a sort of a seed change in the way the NFL is looking at it and, and they're I would hope they would be more responsive to so many former players saying this is a better way for us to to manage the pain that comes with playing the game. Well, I think the the first that part of the change in this whole thing came like probably halfway through my career when they kind of put a stop to the opioid abuse within the NFL. Yeah. And that was before um the huge, you know, opioid epidemic really 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 caught traction in the media. You know, so they was already heading that way. And I mean, nowadays where the NFL is, um, yeah, they allow guys to have a little bit more in their system, but I don't see them really opening it up and because they're going to use, I feel like they're going to use that as a bargaining chip sure. when the next CBA comes around. I don't see them allowing something like that just to, just to, just to give it away when they know that, he, that it's such a huge bar, bargaining chip. Um, yes, I believe they will, but they're obviously going to be slower than other leagues, probably like the NBA or, or, or such. But I mean, we would love to be able to be in those rooms to try to educate these folks um, on, on, on the Hill of Powers complaint, 100%. Yeah, and I know you just opened up a, a dispensary some, somewhere in Michigan, right? Yep, and Niles, Michigan. Yeah, we opened up Niles, in Niles, that's right, yeah. Yeah, 
And uh, is there a website where people can check out what you're doing? Is it just is it primitive.com? What is it? It's primitivegroup.com. That's primitive without the E in the end, primitivegroup.com. We also have our, our, our merch site uh, tied to that. Um, you can see everything that we have going on. You can follow us on our Instagram and, um, and, and um, I'll, I guess we might have Facebook. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whatever it. social platform that exists, I'm sure Primitive will be on there in some way, shape, or form going forward. <laughs> Calvin, man, it was great to catch up with you. Obviously, one of the greatest I ever saw play the game. Uh, as a fan, it, it sucked that you left after nine years, but I totally get it, and I totally understand it, and I, I certainly think that more and more players might look at the end of their career the way you chose to end your career based on all the knowledge that people have now. Uh, what they know about the, the things that come with playing the game for a long period of time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I appreciate you having me on. I just want to you know, encourage those guys, those players, man, just to use their platform and their visibility, you know, to want to affect change and to use it to, you know, to, to make new relationships. I think that's one thing that I've probably learned from the, the great Curtis Martin, man, is just using your opportunity while you have it, especially in the NFL, to, to form certain relationships. Those relationships, they're, they're, going to, they're what's, what's going to carry you a long way. Yeah, the relationships will last, but the nicknames will change. Butterfingers to Megatron. That is a complete 180. That's fun. That's good. Thanks, Trey, man. It's great to see you, dude. So thanks again to Calvin Johnson for joining us. You know, it's always cool to see a player who had so much success in the league find something else that fuels his passion outside of his playing days. And it certainly seems like Calvin has found that. We wish him all the best. Coming up next week... Well, if you could pick a polar opposite wide receiver just physically from Calvin Johnson, it might be Julian Edelman. But the production was pretty fantastic. And, of course, he's got some great stories about what it was like to work with the evil emperor himself, Bill Belichick. Julian Edelman joins us next week on Half Forgotten History. We'll see you then.